Welcome to the Franchise Life. Today, we are focused on the topic of multi-unit franchise ownership. And with me, I have Jesse Kaiser, who owns collectively between several different brands over 50 locations throughout the United States. Welcome, Jesse. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So not only do you own 50 plus locations uh, between Sport Clips, OxyFresh Carpet Cleaning, and Ideal Image, which are all very different types of businesses, but you are also serving as the 2024 chairman for the multi-unit franchising conference this year. I am. Yeah, it's in Vegas. Every year it's in Vegas. And this year, the conference dates are March 19th through the 22nd. And probably the, the big hoopla about this year is that we have uh, Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great and some other great books. He is our keynote speaker and agreed to do a workshop after the keynote. So he spoke many, many years ago. We got great feedback about it. Um, you really can't have the same speaker come too often because then, uh, you know, they need to progress on what their message is. So enough times come by. He's had a couple more books come out. So we're pretty excited about the content that he's going to be bringing. Oh, that that's incredible. Uh, I was sharing this is one conference I've not personally had the opportunity to attend, but now as a franchise owner and a franchise advisor, I would absolutely love to make it. So I'm going to have to put that on my calendar. Absolutely. So let's dive in. How, tell me a little bit about your history, how it all started and how you have grown to be the owner of over 50 franchise locations? Well, I, I would say it all started when I was in college. Uh, the one and only job I've had working for someone else was uh, a dot-com technology startup company. And <clears throat> so this is like 97, 98, 99. Uh, it's the wild, wild west, right? Especially for a startup. So uh, that's where I, I honed in my entrepreneurial skill. I was never an owner, but I was like employee number 13 of, of ever for the company. Uh, so I got in really early in the ground and um, we were located in a college town. I was still really young. I was in my early 20s. So I was still going out with the college kids. And uh, I noticed every day, every night, no matter the weather, the time of the year, the pizza places were always packed at night, especially after the bars closed. So I wanted to get in the pizza. And originally we had found one of the, the few local chains or local locations uh, that the guy was about ready to sell. And uh, he was checked out. The, the product was great. It was, it was a great place. It was just time for him to go do something else. So my brother and I were gonna, gonna buy it. And one of the owners of the, the technology company I worked for said, you know, you shouldn't buy that. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, you've got a lot of great talents and skills. Running a business has never been one of them yet. So why don't you get into a franchise? And I'm like, well, what's that? And he's like, well, basically go find a pizza place franchise and they'll teach you how to run it. And you'll be much better off for that. Because uh, otherwise you and your brother are going to be stuck in here making pizzas all day and not know a clue how to run the business. And I'm really grateful for that advice. So it, as soon as he said that to me, I got on the laptop, started looking at pizza franchises. And uh, this, again, this is like 2004 
this is really before Little Caesars had their reemergence of the hot and ready $5 large pizza. So I was like, well, uh, I haven't, I never actually ever ate Little Caesars pizza. I knew about it from the TV commercials where I lived. There just wasn't one remotely close to us. So uh, I, I bought the franchise without ever trying the pizza, believe it or not. Uh, I just <laughs> was sold on their, their marketing, their systems. And I was like, it can't be that bad. They've got hundreds and hundreds of locations. So that was our first concept and how we got into franchising. So our first location opened up March of 2005. Wow. And this was you and your brother going into business together. What is your brother? Are you still in business together or what? Yeah, is yeah. We're, we're best friends. We're equal business partners. You know, I think I was 27 and he's about four and a half years younger than me. So it was like 22, 23 when we opened our first location. So we were pretty green. We had to cut our teeth and, and learn everything. And you know, one of the things I'm super thankful for is they came in and they looked at our numbers. We were we had a great grand opening. One thing I knew uh, and my former boss knew was I was really good at sales and marketing. So we had a great grand opening and kind of volume fixes all your problems. But the the grace and the, the genius of Little Caesars was we were like, we're ready to open up number two, location number two. And they're like, not so fast. You know, your labor, your food's out of line. You need to get these better in line. We're like, but we're making money. Yeah, hard times are going to come at some point. And if you don't have the fundamentals of the business down, you're, instead of one store closing, you're going to have five, 10 or whatever locations closed because you still didn't understand the concept of it. So it took about 16 months from the time that we opened to hone in what we need to do and build up enough cash to open up our second location and get the approval for it. Um, so we were quick studies, but they really sat us down and explained to us, look, you, you need to run labor between this and this percentage and your food and paper need to be this. And if you can do that, we'll let you open up a second location. So we did what they asked of us and our bank account was better for it too. And that is what you call a good franchise brand because, you know, in this industry, I say there are good franchises and then there are some bad franchises out there. And the fact that they took the time and wanted to teach you how to do it right and pay attention to the things you needed to pay attention to as young entrepreneurs is, is invaluable. Um, and that again is, you know, the beauty of the franchise system. So you owned, you started and cut your teeth with the Little Caesars franchise brand, uh, ended up, how many of those did you end up owning? We had uh, five locations of those. Um, we would have opened more, but in that uh, first couple of years that we were growing and building, so was Little Caesars. And for the most part, other than the areas that we kind of said, hey, we'd like to open here, here, here in the initial interviews, uh, they sold everything else around us. And I mean, to their benefit, that's great. It just made it so we couldn't open up in the next town because there was already one in that town. So we started looking at it, some other options. Um, and at first we were just like, what can we do to make our five locations stronger and, and more profitable? So uh, being in a rural market, like other than TV and radio, if you wanted to be, you know, if you wanted to do like paper mailings, like Balassus or or Advo or Mel South or MS Park, uh, there was only one, and it was only once a month. It wasn't like a weekly thing like you see in the metropolitan areas. So um, I, through my work with Little Caesars and their marketing cookbook, I saw templates for this other place called Valpac. So I Googled that and I was like, oh, that's a franchise too. 
So we decided that we were going to open up uh, Valpec in a dormant territory where all of our little Caesars were, and that would be another marketing thing. And then another opportunity to sell and make more money too. Uh, but we re initially got into it because we just wanted to do more marketing for our, our pizza places. Incredible. So Valpac was the second one. Sure was. And then where does Sports Clip, Oxy, Fresh, and yeah. Image come so, in? Okay. So um, the thing about Valpac is there's a combination of national uh, offers put in there. And most of the time, those are offers that aren't put together by me. They're put together by another market where that company's based or the national advertising group that helps with that stuff. The other side of that envelope is all local businesses that want to advertise in it. So you have to go out, you've got a cold call, you've got to do basically interviews, you got to show them and explain to them why and how this might benefit their business. And I learned uh, quickly that there were some industries where there was really good margins and the owners did not understand or appreciate the value of marketing and, and sales. Like uh, they just said, word of mouth is how we do it. Word of mouth is great, but that's not how you get the new customer that just moved in that doesn't know anyone in town. So there's right. no word of mouth there. So uh, I noticed that in the salon business and in the carpet cleaning business, the the average owner wasn't sophisticated enough to really appreciate the marketing. So I thought to myself, if I could do just as good of a job as they do, and I understand marketing, I've got an advantage here that should put me on top. So um, we got into Sport Clips in 2010 and uh, started to open those up. And in 2012, 20, 2013, I think, was the first year that we went to the multi-unit franchise conference. And either the first or the second year that we went, maybe it was the second year, we stumbled across OxyFresh Carpet Cleaning at the conference. And what we liked about that concept versus uh, like Stanley Steamer and those things was there was a operation already taking place in the St. Louis metropolitan area, which is like two hours away from where we lived and where I live now, uh, that was for sale. So we could actually go in and acquire an existing business to start cash flowing right away. And the other thing is, is that they're one of the few chains for uh, carpet cleaning where they handle all the inbound uh, appointment calls. So we just we really just have to focus on marketing to make the phone ring and then managing our, our team to actually clean the carpets correctly and on time. So we thought that was a great one. So we got into that. Uh, several years later, we keep opening up more sport clips. We actually opened up another Little Caesars during that time. And then we stumbled across Ideal Image a few years ago at the conference as well. And that was a it's a medical spa. It's not a franchise. I don't have an FDD that I signed. It is a joint venture uh, between the two of us. And the best way to explain this is it's a very similar agreement that you would see with um, if you owned a Ritz-Carlton or a Marriott hotel, you're either going to have the corporate or a third-party market uh, managing company manage the, the employees. They're still your employees. It's still your brick and mortar. Uh, there's still all the bills that you need to pay or have paid. But uh, another company will come in and work and manage it for a percentage of the top and the bottom line. So that's that's how that concept works. Very interesting. So let me ask you this. You own businesses in very different segments. Yeah. What 
what are the benefits and or challenges that you see as a business owner spanning those different segments? So business in general is pretty common. I mean, like, uh, you know, you, you, you're going to have a, a royalty that you're going to have to pay no matter what the franchise is, but removing franchises, you have payroll, right? You have uh, income tax, you have property tax, you have all these things that are very common with no matter what business concept you're in. The only difference between one, one industry and the other, in my opinion, is um, your grasp of the understanding of two very important things. One is, do you fully understand who your ideal customer is? You can spend a lot of time and money and effort trying to grab customers who are not your ideal customers or try to make those people happy because whatever you're providing isn't what they're after. They want something else. Okay. And then the other side of this that I, and I think most people that go into business, they get that part um, because that's a, that's a, that's a derivative of marketing and sales, right? So you figure that one out. Well, the one thing that I don't think most people figure out, but the ones that do, they kill it. And it's, they understand what the ideal customer and employee is. So you got to have both. So I, I use Chick-fil-A as a perfect example. It's a fried chicken sandwich. There are probably seven other places on the same road that sell a fried chicken sandwich that are all comparable in taste, price, and convenience. But Chick-fil-A hires a different type of employee. And so the customer experience is different. And what they're actually doing, and if you notice, most of the people that go through a Chick-fil-A uh, drive through are not going through a Burger King or a McDonald's or a Taco Bell drive through They don't do fast food, but they'll do fried chicken because the customer experience is so nice that they don't care, right? Because uh, fried chicken's delicious no matter what, but they are going there for the experience. And it's because the type of customer and the type of employee are matched up correctly. You try to put, and this is no dig on Burger King, you try to take a Burger King employee group and move them over to Chick-fil-A, you have a... Burger King Chick-fil-A. And so you don't have the same long drive-throughs that are moving through fast. You have a different situation. That's not to say that uh, the Burger King people aren't hiring the right people for their type of employee or their, their type of customer. It just means they don't match up exactly. And here's a great example. So I'm in the medical business, right? With, with Ideal Image. Uh, we hire a lot of nurse practitioners and registered nurses. Okay. Not all nurse practitioners or registered nurses are created equal. Some like the hustle and bustle of the emergency room. A lot of people don't. Our our our, um, our medical professionals, they are more interested in the before and after the transformation, right? So if I hired someone that was all about the, uh, the thrill and the rush of working in the ER room, they're not going to like working where we are, and they're not going to be excited about the transformation. Vice versa, that person that likes the transformation of their patients is gonna probably shoot themselves having to work a full shift at the ER room, right? So it's it's not about what's better or not. It's about right sizing the right experience and the right uh, customer and the right employee. All three things need to come together. That is very powerful. So when you're looking at or considering adding a brand to your portfolio, what are the attributes? What is it? You, I mean, you're going to be at this multi-unit franchise conference. You've gone for years. You've, I know you mentioned you've uh, attend emerging brand franchise conferences as, as well. Mm -hmm. So what are the, those attributes? What are the tenants that you're looking for that really would make you consider it seriously as an addition to your portfolio? 
Okay. Well, first, I wouldn't sign an FDD until I've done a couple of things. And the first thing is getting a good grasp on who the ideal customer and who the ideal employee is. Putting that aside, at that point, to me, it's about the margin and the return on my investment. Okay. So I really don't care if it's a $250,000 investment or a million dollar investment per location. What I care about is how quick do I make that investment back? And I'm looking that in months. 36 months is kind of a sweet spot for me. I won't shy away from something that's easy and pain-free that's a 40-month return. And I get pretty excited about things that maybe I have to work a little harder. But I, if I get a 24-month return on it, I'll work a little harder and deal with a little bit more frustration because of that, that margin is much different. But that would be definitely it. What I would do in that process is I'd go reach out to as many of the franchisees that are in that system already. And what I'm looking for is hopefully someone smarter than me. Because if someone smarter than me is in it, then I feel safe that, okay, someone else has done their due diligence, they're being successful in it, and they're a resource for me if I hit a wall and don't understand something. I've got at least another person that's in the trenches doing exactly what I would be doing that could give me some advice. That is really interesting. And when I'm working with candidates, I do tell them that validation stage to me is one of the absolute most important steps in the entire process. And seeing what who else and what types of backgrounds they have that have invested in it, how they're thriving in it and so forth. So uh, that's really interesting to hear you say. Um, uh, so I, I heard at one time, can't remember where, but again, when a candidate of mine is considering a single unit investment versus a multi-unit commitment, um, I was told that it is much easier to manage multiple locations many times than it is a single location. What would your perspective on that be? I, I think it really depends on who, who that person is and how they're built. Okay, so there's definitely the Peter principle at any level of sophistication. So someone, you know, they could do an amazing job with one location. And uh, when they get to two to three, that requires a different skill set. I, I kind of say this, uh, you know, the skills to get you out of Egypt are not the same skills that get you into the promised land. That's why Moses <laughs> wandered around for 40 years, right? So the skills to get you to be a great operator with one location are not the same skills to get you to be a, an operator of like 50 or 100 units. It's much different skills. Uh, you can grow and create those capabilities. There's nothing wrong with that. But you also got to find out where's your sweet spot and how do you connect with people? Um so I will tell you, yes, I won't jump into something that's a single location because at the end of the day, there's not enough scalability that I can hire high enough caliber individuals that can run it day to day for me so I can focus on other things. So I, I do think multi-unit operations is easier once you understand it. And I'll give another shameless plug back to the conference. That conference is full of nothing but people that have multiple locations, right? or people aspiring to. So if you're one that's got, you got one and you're ready to do two or three, there are people there that are sitting at six, seven or eight locations that were at two, two years ago. And they'll tell you everything that they had to do and all the pains and struggles to get to that and what they would have done differently. Um, this is a real group, a real good group of people that will share with you their failures much quicker than their successes because they genuinely don't want other people to go through the same agony. 
Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about the franchise industry is I think, you know, there's a lot of individuals that you can lean on that will provide full transparency because they've perhaps walked that path before and understand the value of learning. Um, Okay. So let me ask you this. Uh, What does a day in the life look like as a 50 plus unit franchise owner versus let's say when you were at a stage in your life of owning perhaps three to five units? Oh yeah. I I can tell you when we had, you know, just our little Caesars as an example, uh, we were, uh, we opened at 1030. So, you know, the opener was in there by 8, 830 to count the money and take the money to the bank and get prepped for, for lunch. So uh, seven days a week, that's what I was doing. Uh, didn't have kids then, so it was okay. I, I uh, My brother and I were both married and uh, subsequently divorced because we were busy working on our business and, you know, in our business instead of on it. Uh, but that's just a function of our age and what are our priorities were. It wasn't anything bad about that. Uh, I'm happily married now and uh, my work life is much different now. What I could, if I told you what I do now versus what I did 15, 16 years ago, it, it, it's nine day difference. I mean, I wake up, I take the kids to school, I go to the gym. When I get done with the gym, I go find a Starbucks and I pull up my laptop, I check emails, I run a couple of reports. The only thing that I do that no one else does the same way in my company is I handle a lot of the recruiting. So I'll reach out because I want to have some kind of point of contact with every employee. And I've got about 350 of them. The only way I could really kind of keep tabs on, I can't really keep tabs on all the employees at once. But if I can make the initial introduction and say, hey, I own this salon or I own this carpet cleaning business, I'd love for you to meet with one of my district managers they've already made a connection with me and then we'll become Facebook friends. We've got a Facebook group and I'll, I'll interact with them that way. And if they become a manager, then I have their number. We're texting each other numbers and ideas and suggestions, but I really only deal with my district managers and I've got four of them for the sport clips. I've got one of them for OxyFresh and the ideal image. I don't have to do anything with that because they handle the operations on that. So every Friday I have an hour long meeting with my area managers 80% of that meeting is them having to tell me what their wins for the week were. Um, And it's a very self-regulating group for the simple fact that no one wants to come to that Zoom meeting and say they don't have any wins, right? So that doesn't mean that they're just uh, executing flawlessly every week to give me these wins. What we're doing is we're we're looking internal and we're, we're saying, okay, what am I grateful for? What were the little wins that normally I wouldn't even registered and now I need to write these down because if I don't have 10 wins, uh, I'm going to look like I didn't do anything this week compared to everyone else that's got 10 or 15 wins. And I'm making that number up. It could be three. It could be 50. I mean, it just kind of depends what the wins are and what where we are with that. But um, I, I do believe that my job now is not to motivate, but to inspire. And there's a big difference there. Motivation means I got to touch all the time right? Inspiration, once you ignite that fire, it should burn on its own very long for on its own. And uh, of course, you need to occasionally put a log on the fire, but that's much different than trying to keep someone motivated. Motivated is just like pushing them down this thing. I feel like it's an emotional roller coaster where when you get someone inspired that they want to achieve something, 
I mean, I've got, and I have children that are like this too. Once they're inspired to do something, I got to get out of their way, right? <laughs> and that's, that's probably the best thing to do is be able to get the hell out of the way if you've got someone that's dedicated, inspired, and on the same page as you about what the outcome should be. It's a pretty magical thing. And that's why I'm able to manage all these different locations in different time zones is because uh, I've I've hired people that are capable. I've given them capabilities that they didn't have before they took the job. And I've given them a, not necessarily a tight parameter on how to operate and function, but I've given them bumper like bumper rails, right? And it says like, all you gotta do is stay in between here. You can zigzag or you can shoot straight. If you shoot straight, you'll get there faster and less, you know, more efficient. But you know, if you if you zigzag a little bit, you're moving forward in the right direction. You're gonna find wins that we're gonna be able to celebrate on Friday. So when you're, I mean, you've built 350 employees, you have this district manager model. Uh, when you're hiring for those district managers and the leadership positions, is innate personality and, you know, attributes that you see more important than experience or vice versa? What do you mm. look for? So my interview process for when I hire a district manager, I am the last to actually have a conversation with them. I make all my other district managers interview them and vet them first. And it's because we work as a team. And every time we have to lose someone, we want to level up the team. So that means finding someone who has more capabilities or more potential to have capabilities than the person that sat in that chair before. So, uh, and everyone's really invested in that. And the reason they are, it's not a fear of like, well, she's going to, she'll get a promotion and be in charge of all of us. It's not that it's more like, Hey, if we've got a weak link, ultimately I have to pick up the slack and I don't want to pick up the slack. And if I get someone who's that qualified and that capable, maybe I don't have to work as hard because they're able to do it in less time and less uh, energy and it helps the team. So like, you know, we have a, a weekly manager meeting that's done on Zoom. I haven't been on it for at least three years. Just my district managers run it and they all take turns running it. So, you know, but they're talking to their direct reports. So they don't want someone who doesn't know what they're talking about or isn't consistent getting up there and once every four or five weeks, giving their presentation for the, the meeting and having it be something that then they have to do damage control because the advice they gave them was terrible or they just weren't engaged enough. Um, so that's part of it. Um, as far as uh, other criterias, I'm really looking for someone who is passionate about developing other people. I could teach you to be better with your time. I could teach you technology. You know, we're going to hire for personality, basically. And if the personality is right, we've got enough systems in place that even people that really struggle with technology, we can we can we can get them so they can push through this. And when I say technology, it's like dealing with PowerPoint presentation dealing with Zoom, dealing with uh, our HR payroll uh, app, right? So, you know, we when you onboard someone, there's a lot of paperwork that has to be done. It's all done digital now. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it doesn't work great and it could be frustrating. So you need to figure out how what's the workaround or what who do I call? How do I know it's your issue and not me being a user too silly situation? Um, so we can train all that. But what we can't train is someone's passion to make someone else do better on their own, right? 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So when you're, when you reflect back on your career to date, Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say some of your biggest lessons learned are your top one or two that someone considering multi-unit business ownership, franchise ownership, you know, what have you, uh, that they could learn from you today? You know, the the first thing was when I was just in the food category, you can be fairly successful if you're predominantly carrot, or I'm sorry, predominantly stick and not carrot. Uh, and part of it is, is that, you know, if you don't like how that person is making the pepperoni pizza and you don't like their attitude, you can send them home and you can make that pizza. When I got into spore clips, I realized very quickly that I couldn't do that. One, you don't want me cutting your hair. Two, legally, I can't cut your hair because I'm not a licensed cosmetologist. So that really forced me to figure out, okay, I can't come in and do their job. So what that did is it changed completely my perspective on an employee and they become an asset to you instead of a liability. So that would be my first advice is uh, find a franchisor that also thinks the employees are an asset and not a liability. I've, I've done so many discovery days and I can tell you the ones that stick out to me the most are the ones that actually talk great about employees. The majority of them, and I think this is just human nature, they don't talk great about the employees, right? So if you find one that's talking about the employees in a positive way, put your put your truck up next to it or whatever and, and go with them because they're going to mentor you to be a better boss. And I, I'll tell you, Sport Clips was exactly that for me. They... Uh, intentionally and unintentionally created a situation where Jesse had to use more carrot than stick. And so that's applied. And I I took that back to the restaurant industry and I've taken it to the other industries. And it's like, okay, how do we motivate people or or inspire people with carrots and not sticks? And the amazing thing is, is that when you do it with carrot, they keep running on their own. They only stop. They only run as far as they can get away from the stick. Right. So as soon as the, uh, the, the correction uh, has taken its place and moved on. They go back to their normal behavior until the stick shows up again. And that to me is very tiring. You run through employees quickly. It's not a great work environment. It's just not great in general. So that would be one piece of advice. The other piece of advice I would say is uh, overdevelop everyone. Overdevelop them. It, there's no reason why only one person or only two people in the whole store should know how to do something, right? Uh, now there's exceptions to the rule. Like uh, if you have a high school person that's 16 or 17 and you've got equipment that they can't touch till they're 18, that's a different situation. But other than that, you know, everyone should know how to count down a drawer, even if they're hardly ever on the register, right? Or in in Little Caesars, everyone should know how to make a pepperoni pizza, even if you work in the front line. Even if you never make a pizza, at least you have appreciation and an understanding of what someone else back there has to do for you to have a good pizza to sell. So I think cross-training is huge, important, and over-developing. Absolutely. Great tips. Uh, So, okay, let's go back to this multi-unit franchise conference here on a last note. Uh, You know, I see on a day-to-day basis the different industries that are really thriving today in 2024 and what's up and coming. Um, what would you say the top three franchise industries or segments 
are for investors to really pay attention to? Wow. Uh, you know, that moves uh, like fashion moves, right? And I think for the <laughs> last 10 years, I think the service non-brick and mortar uh, has really uh, taken off. And I think it's for two parts. I think uh, on paper, it's very easy to scale or it looks like it is. And the initial investment can be a lot less than having to do a build out for a restaurant or in this case, a sport clubs, which is a service brick and mortar. Um, I, I think that that, for the most part, has run its course. And I think you're going to see people get back into more brick and mortar that is non-food, okay? Uh, I still see food being strong, don't get me wrong, but I, I'm seeing things pop up now that are like stretch labs, uh, other things where you physically have to go somewhere and, and receive that service. And part of it is, um, you know, there's so much more real estate that's going to be opening up. Uh, very soon because of strip centers getting built. Um, we're losing, like Amazon is is taking away other things. But, you know, like here's another franchise, Batteries Plus Bulbs. Mm -hmm. uh, I could get on Amazon, but I'm not 100% sure if that's the right bulb to buy or battery. And I could just take it down the road, take it in there, and they're going to have it in stock and I could take it right away. Sorry about that. No worries. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've got a, I've got an amazing guard dog that uh, is <laughs> speaking of Amazon. So I just think there's a bit of a disruption in in the retail uh, area. So anything that uh, is brick and mortar, I think is 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 a good bet for the next five ten years to get into as a brand new concept. And part of it is, I'm going to tell you, managing a brick and mortar is so much easier than managing a non-brick and mortar when you're not the owner operator, which I think most people ideally want to not be an owner operator and they actually want to be like where they have a manager and things like that. So much easier to manage employees if they're all in the central location, interacting with the customers in front of other employees uh, and other customers than if they're out at someone's home. It, it just opens up their... I'm not saying you can't be successful. I'm definitely successful with the carpet cleaning business. It it requires a different level of leadership and management than if you just had a, a brick and mortar where everyone had a key turned in, came in, clocked in and started working. Yeah, I, I, those industries are so different. In the past, I've only owned a brick and mortar and it was in a boutique fitness studio years ago. And now I do own a service-based business and it is an entirely different experience. I mean, I'm just getting it up and running, but um, the jury's out on which I, which I like more. I'll, I'll say that right now, but okay. Uh, Multi-unit franchise conference on a very last note for yeah. somebody considering uh either as a current multi-unit owner looking to grow or an individual very serious about becoming a multi-unit franchise owner, how can they benefit from this conference? So you, you talked about uh, the type of district manager that I like to hire. And I just talked about like a particular personality, um, just someone that in, gets energy from developing others, right? But that's pretty broad. One thing about franchising that I've observed is that every franchisor will hand you a manual that you can then hand to a manager that will tell you how they would like the brand to be ran. 
operational expectations and things like that. No one has created a manual for a district manager. And there's a reason for that. There's two parts. One, and I tell this to my district managers, it's it's six months to 12 months before uh, I can actually really tell you what to do. I mean, I can give you some block and tackles, but I don't know how to manage you because I'm going to manage your personality. And I got to get to know your personality. And so the other part of that is, is that no two entrepreneurs are created the same. And so what my skill sets are, and like as my brother, my partner's skill sets are completely different. So who he needs as a district manager for a brand that he was running would be much different than a district manager that I need. So that's why it's not so easy to just hand a manual to someone and say, here's how you run five or 15 locations, because it's going to be based on your expectations. I mean, if your expectation is you've got to just drive as much cash to the bottom line so you can keep opening up as many as you want, or is it more like you just don't want phone calls and you want to be able to vacation a lot? So maybe you don't make as much on the bottom line, but it's a great thing and you don't work a whole lot. Like every entrepreneur is in a different stage, right? So that totally depends. This conference is where you're going to run into all those different types of entrepreneurs where you're going to get that advice. So if you're if you're one of those people who are like, hey, I'm in my 50s and I want to vacation out with my wife. How do I make it so my business doesn't burn down while I'm in Europe for two weeks? There's going to be people that are going to show you, this is what we do when we go out of town. This is what we do when we go out of the country. Um, if you're like, hey, I'm at seven units. I want to get to 14 in the next two years. There's going to be people there that did that in a year or less in one transaction that will tell you how they did it. So that's why I like this conference. It's kind of like the operations manual for a district manager or a multi-unit operator because no franchisor is really giving a concrete here you go. Here's all. Here's the process to do all these things, and it's not to the franchisor's um, detriment. It's really every entrepreneur is a little bit different, and who you hire and who you decide as a district manager is going to be completely different. I've got friends that are in the same brands I am. Their district managers have completely different responsibilities than mine. What's one's better than another? I don't know. It, they're really working with whatever the capabilities of the owner is, right? Sure. So. A lot of times, whoever their district manager is would probably and, and probably does really well with them wouldn't flourish under me because whatever skills they brought to the table, maybe it's the skills I have. And so it's like redundant. I need someone that can do things that I can't do. You know, I mean, everything you're saying is, I, you know, just constantly takes me back to the saying within the franchise industry that you're in business for yourself. So these businesses are yours, but you're not in business by yourself. You have right. this entire network of individuals, whether it's within your same system, franchise system, or other brands that you can lean on and leverage. And then they all come together at forums like MUFC. Right. So, well, Jesse, thank you so much for your time today. This is this has been a really intriguing and inspiring conversation with you. And I hope in 10 years, I'm sitting in your spot, maybe. <laughs> oh, It'd be great. And hopefully we'll get you to the conference. Um, I, one, of the, one of the great things about the conference, besides the keynotes and the panel discussions with uh, guys and girls like me, uh, is there's two days, I call it Vegas's best happy hour. And it's uh, like from three to six. So it's like a perfect time. You still can have dinner meetings and, and go out with your friends and see a show. But from three to six, it's uh, open bar and hors d'oeuvres. 
in this huge vendor area where all the franchisors have their own booths. And because this isn't like a franchise expo, you're not you're who you're dealing with is either the founder, the CEO, or at least the chief development officer, not just a um, a, a salesperson who's working this show because so and so is working the other show. Um, this is a show where all the brands bring their big guns because they're trying to land sophisticated owners and operators. Sure. So definitely time well spent for, for serious investors. Yeah. Well, Jesse, thank you again. Uh, for anybody that is interested in exploring franchise ownership, please feel free to reach out to me at Stacy at fusionfranchising.com. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you.